The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, this is Maureen Metcalf. Welcome to Innovative Leaders, Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, we're going to be talking to Jim Ritchie Dunham, who's the presidency of Vibrancy, Inc. He's also an adjunct researcher at Harvard and the president of Institute for Strategic Clarity, which is a nonprofit organization that certifies people in working with the Vibrancy Frameworks. Uh, He also teaches at some top international universities. James Drinkwater, who's the Senior Policy Advisor at the World Green Building Council. And the Green Building Council is a coalition of more than 100 Green Building Councils and 27,000 mem- uh, company members, uh, making, the largest, making it the largest international organization influencing the green building marketplace. And then our third guest is Christoph Hanksk. He is the founder of Enacting Paradigms, uh, Decoding Agreement Structures, Calculating their economic value and driving value. So um, part of what I try to do in this Voice America series is provide value, valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that will help them lead their organization in the dynamic times that we're currently facing. So how do you identify changes and implement the ideas that we're discussing to give you a strategic advantage? In addition to sharing models and experiences, I invite you to think in each weekly segment of one um, idea or concept uh, that resonates with you that you can use to update your leadership skills immediately. So if you're not leading in a large organization, you can still uh, try these out in um, non-business uh, frameworks. And the point is to experiment. So I hear something that's interesting. I think it might work for me. Um, how, what experiments will I construct to go off and try these new ideas so that I can continue to innovate the way I lead in my organizations and in other areas of my life. So today's conversation, vibrancy and ecosynomics, are really important topics. The body of work is making a great impact in pockets of organizations or in organizational um, settings around the world, um, and yet I believe it is not as well known as it should be. Um, I've personally found the model to have a great impact on several of my clients. Um, It's helped them identify and excel the way that their team is able to bring innovative ideas to the fore and also helps them, even in organizations that are not yet as innovative, helps them create a framework where they are just more aligned and more effective. So let's turn this to Jim. Um, and have him talk about 
what is Ecosynomics and who are you and what is the value that this will bring to organizations? Thank you, Maureen. It's great to be here with you today. Ecosynomics, the word means the rules of relating together, Ecosynomics. And rules of relating together are the principles of collaboration. And so what my work has been doing, is, my work is my passion. And what I'm trying to do is understand through practice and research what makes groups deviant, what makes them very positive deviants and what makes them negative deviants, whether they're large or small, um, all different kinds of countries, whether they're friends, groups of friends or couples or teams, companies, um, organizations, uh, communities, uh, nations, states. It's all about how do we as a group agree to come together. And we've been doing this work in a dozen plus countries. Um, Maureen, what's really exciting is that we found that agreements and collaborations are very different than agreements and competition. And what we're trying to do is understand what leads to more collaborative um, work together versus more competitive work against each other. And we've been able to confirm this through a survey that we've done in over 2,400 groups in 94 countries and learning labs in 93 different groups that we've been working with over time. Um, what we found is basically it's all about the agreements that influence how we interact together to achieve the outcomes that we want and the experience that we have along the way. And what we found at the core of this is that people, there are people out there who on a daily basis are living from an assumption of abundance or seeing the potential in people and that the way that they interact actually promotes this potential and really lives into the potential and how we're going to manifest that every day versus really contracting it and seeing people as interchangeable parts. And that leads to completely different practices and what we call agreements and how we structure the processes of our daily lives together. And so it's very exciting new territory and we're trying to figure out what's happening in that so we can understand it better and share this with the world. Thank you. Now let's move to Christoph. Again, tell us um, how you connected with Jim and Ecosynomics. Uh, why are you... Um, why are you creating a business and uh, working as a fellow at the Institute? And um, what is it bringing to your clients in Europe? Great. Um, thank you, Maureen. Um, yeah, yes, I'm a business owner recently um, and by training a global change manager. So um, how did I start to work together with Jim? So I think... It was many years ago after meeting him on a conference in Germany and uh, ever since I'm, I'm trying to work and apply the insights that are created in the field of economics and uh, trying to apply the tools that are developed. And um, well, what, what are my clients getting or why, why am I into that? I don't know. Perhaps the most easiest answer to that would be, well, people just ask for it because people always ask me, so how can we create... Um, uh, um, an organizational culture that is appreciative, where we are innovative, where we are really creative with each other and supportive of each other, and 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 this is how they approach me. And like, well, we can do that. Let's let's try an experiment. And so I'm happily pulled into that. And so, and as a consequence, I think over the last seven years, um, I advised um, European and African governments, small, medium, large companies, as well as industry associations here in, in Germany. 
and always trying to support them in shifting their practices from scarcity-driven competition, um, what Jim just described, into more collaborative and and yeah, collaborative abundance. And so, um, to do so more efficiently, for example, in the last. Um, Month, um, I founded my own company, as I mentioned, to have a home. And one of the last achievements we had here was um, that we created the Economics Forum, which is a series of global conferences hosting, hosted by nominated organizations and inviting selected organizations that, that what Jim just talked about, this, which outperform the status quo by starting from abundance. And, and we're inviting them to, to learn from each other to, because often they feel alone and they don't know how to learn and how to actually manifest this, um, this structures more and it creates this more into the business case, integrates this more into the business case, those new agreements. And yeah, and I'm, this is how, what I'm doing and what I'm contributing to this field. Cool. So, so your member organizations or your selected organizations are those positive deviants that Jim talked about? Um, mostly we are trying to. And um, so there are different formats of this conference. And there, there, there are ones where people just come and learn. And so what is it actually? What does it mean, this abstract thing of scarcity mm-hmm. and abundance? Because it sounds a bit abstract. So what does it mean in my day-to-day business? A and B, um, bringing together groups who um, are doing it already and having different leadership styles, um, which much more leverage this performance that Jim talked about and um, really bringing them together and that they can share. Yes. And, they, and it can be business owners, but as well as policy, um, people from the political sector. I mean, we're working with politicians as well. So. And you've said Europe, U.S. and Africa. Yes, currently, yes. So, so this is um, a framework or construct that is applicable globally, not just um, one language or one culture. Well, I think Jim would be the best to answer into that. But, I mean, the application I give, I use, um, um, is, I mean, it's, my experience is it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter um, what language you speak. Um, if you're rich, poor, if you're a big, small company, if you're civil society, or it doesn't matter. So, But I think Jim could better speak into that. Let's have James introduce himself, and then I would like to hear more about um, the applicability and, and specifically one of the things I really liked about Ecosonomics is working with um, large multinational organizations. One, the quantitative nature that, that we take something that it can be considered the soft stuff and, and apply very rigorous research to it and that it has been tested and applied and translated to organizations around the world. So it is not a U.S.-centric construct, but rather um, really useful for international companies. So let's now move to James Drinkwater from the World Green Building Council. Uh, again, give us a little bit more of an intro. And what is the World GBC doing with Ecosonomics? How is that helpful to you? Thanks, Maureen, and great to be here with you guys. So uh, uh, the World Green Building Council, as you've outlined, is the world's biggest coalition of of companies and universities and other expert actors within the sustainable building space. 
Um, and we'd spent as an organization the last kind of 10, 20 years building this, this huge network of actors really focused on, on this core issue of how, how we co-create a sustainable built environment. And we've achieved pretty significant scale, 27,000 company uh, members across the globe, 100 countries now have green building councils within them uh, who lead their members in the charge towards sustainable buildings. So we've achieved significant scale. But whilst we have this really powerful network and, and whilst we think we have a change strategy, if you look at the things green building councils do that is effective in transforming markets, I guess we, we came to a juncture where we were asking well, we seem to be doing the right things, but how do we really transform things? How do we hit paradigm shifts? Because we're moving, but our sense is we're not moving fast enough, uh, and we want to start to move faster. So our our journey with, with Jim and Christoph uh, began really um, before, just before we met in, in Cape Town mid-last year to start exploring some of the, the systems thinking uh, that these guys are, are so versed in uh, and the Managing for Clarity framework. But one of the, the things that came through very, very powerfully in our, our time together for us was this notion that we, we start our agreements, we start everything we do from often a place of either scarcity or abundance, and that can really make or break what we do. And when we started to look at, okay, we're doing the right stuff, but why is it not achieving the scale we want it to and deconstruct the way we were approaching that. I think for, for us, the power of economics lies in uncovering the fact it's the agreements you perhaps haven't recognized and the ways you enter into processes that will really shape the result. It doesn't matter if your strategic framing sounds and is achieving a certain amount of change. This, this is the kind of stuff that really allows you to scale change and achieve positive outcomes on a, on a more regular basis uh, as an organization. So, so, so we're particularly interested in exploring this framework to help us not just achieve some change, but to help us scale our impact as an organization. So, so let's um, go back to Jim for a minute. And um, I'm interested in talking more about how do we scale our impact? Because I'm assuming our, our listeners are mostly involved in um, roles where they are either driving change or working in projects where they are impacted by change. And the idea of scaling it having the impact quicker and also to have it managed in a way that isn't so disorienting for the people who work for us. So they're able to focus on accomplishing their goals rather than navigating a a messy and complex change. Not that we can make it less complex, but we can certainly make it a little less messy. So Jim, Richie, Donham, can you talk a little bit more about that? And then we'll go, go to a break, and then I'll ask James to talk in more detail about what the World Green Building Council is doing. Sure, Maureen. Um, to your question, uh, we've been doing this in uh, nine, ten different countries in Africa, the Americas, uh, Latin America, and Europe. In the last few years, so we and at all different scales of organization. So it's not just really small, and it's not just really big, and it's not just national or international. It's it's all these different levels and these different kinds of countries. And basically, what we're finding is it is complex, it is messy, and it's lovely if you start to question what are the agreements and are we actually achieving what we actually really want. And what's surprising, and this is very much within what your, your whole exploration of your work, Maureen, is that people just don't ask the question. And what we're discovering is in our agreements, people don't ask the question, what do we actually really want? 
and asking each other that, and are we having the experience that we want or believe is available to us, and are we having getting the outcomes that we actually want? So like in the case of James's group, um, what is it that you actually really want? While this is a very sophisticated group, when we ask that, a different level of goal came out, and that always happens. What is the deeper agreement for why we're here? And then what is, are we having the experience we want or the outcomes that we really want towards that higher goal? And so my point is that in the messy and complexity, a lot of times the resistance to the change that people face is because we don't actually know what the agreements are that we have, and we, don't, we haven't actually agreed to them. So the way we sort of cat, encapsulate that is to say, have you unconsciously accepted the agreements that you're living under, or have you consciously chosen them? And have you done that individually and as a group, as a collective? And that it turns out to be much easier to go through that transition when you're actually being upfront and straightforward and transparent around what are the agreements that we individually and collectively are taking. It's surprising how powerful that is. Great. Thank you. And I know you and I have gone through this exercise, so I can also attest to, to the profound impact when people start to realize one unconscious and two that the what i've agreed to in my collaboration with a colleague may be very different than what they what they have thought they have agreed to with me and those kind of conflicts can completely undo entire organizations because of the human challenges they create thinking that the person i'm working with is whatever we might attribute to it, but untrustworthy not doesn't follow through. So we'll talk a little bit, we'll talk in depth about this when we return from break. Uh, this is Maureen Metcalf, and we're, uh, the radio show is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and today we're talking about organizational vibrancy. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. 
Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, our guests are Jim Ritchie Dunham, James Drinkwater, and Christoph Hengsk, and we are talking about organizational or harmonic vibrancy in ecosynomics, and specifically how the agreements we make with one another can either enable and supercharge our ability to change and thrive, or how they can disrupt us. So let's talk in more detail with James Drinkwater about what the World Green Building Council is doing. Um, How are you specifically implementing the vibrancy framework and what kind of results has that given you? So one of the the larger projects that we've got going at the moment is um, a large EU-funded Horizon 2020 research and innovation project called Build-Upon. And Build-Upon is tackling uh, a problem which is core to our, our sustainable building issue across much of the world, that our, our buildings across much of the world need to be renovated to be more energy efficient, uh, to release less greenhouse gas emissions in, into the atmosphere. So we're looking at renovating Europe uh, as a region, uh, particularly through the eyes of, of 13 countries, a mixture of, of extremely diverse countries. We mix uh, some of the, the Nordic countries with Central and Eastern European countries, countries uh, like Turkey, Mediterranean countries like Spain and Italy. So a very, very diverse mix of, of cultures and, and slightly differing approaches to this, this central, central issue here. And, um, and the work that we began on our, our global strategy with the support of, of Jim and Christoph some time ago has really helped to shape our approach to how we're doing this. So in terms of the framing of the issue in particular, we realized that this is a, a huge issue. There are many, many organizations across the European region who are, are working on this. And the framing of the issue for over a decade has been, we're not making enough progress. Here are a list of all the barriers we have. Here are a list of the resources we have, usually the initiatives trying to tackle this problem, and they're not scaling. So, so uh, often the, the eminent reports and the beginnings of conferences and all of these things start, start from really a place of scarcity. And when we started to look at the economics framework, we started to question, well, how are we framing this whole problem? How are we entering into this as a group to ensure that we're, we're trying to start from a place of abundance because we're attacking a problem that we've had for over a decade that we've been really, really trying, trying and working hard at, throwing lots of resource at, but we've been starting from the wrong, wrong place, I guess. So, so in this project, we're really trying to firstly see the possibility, starting from a really strong belief that we have today, all of the resources that we need to create and deliver a really strong national and European-wide building retrofit strategy today, 
but it simply hasn't messed itself, it manifested itself just yet. And so we've asked ourselves, well, why hasn't it manifested just yet? And what are the conditions needed for it to manifest? And for us, that's really about seeing the potential to develop. It's an inherently um, collaborative process that we're structuring, which structures collaboration across a very large number of diverse stakeholders at both a national and an international level. And it's a process of, of development-based structured dialogue and collaboration, which firstly helps us make transparent the best of what is going on, the best of current resources and initiative, the things and groups that are, are having an impact, the things that are achieving scale, and takes this very large group of stakeholders, over a, a thousand key multipliers across, across the Europe region, through an empowering collaborative process to try to teach them how to co-create, how to work together towards a place of lesser fragmentation and greater collective impact. And, and throughout this process, what we're really trying to learn as an organization is how we skillfully host that, but not just how we are the central host, how we're helping others to come on that journey of really learning how to steward and host with us, because we recognize we can't do it alone. But our, our unique role, our impact as an organization is helping people, people collectively see that possibility. We have all we need to get it done today. And then defragmenting, bringing greater cohesion and collaboration to this space already. And so really that kind of the seeing the things level where we usually start, which is we have a bunch of stuff today and it isn't going anywhere. It is not where we've started. We've started by seeing the possibility, understanding the collaborative process we need to really scale up uh, against this issue and then then actually inventorize, inventorizing the things we have today and the things that we can build upon incrementally but we're looking at the paradigm shift obviously and realizing that possibility through a collaborative process so so the frameworks really helped us to try to see this through 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 different eyes try to reframe the issue and start from a place of abundance where we can begin a process that really really empowers and enlivens people again jump in at this point and just give a little bit of background on some of the terminology and Jim please correct me and steer me but but we're talking about um, scarcity and abundance and this idea that we kind of visualize what's possible and I, I realize I have a bit of an allergy to to some of the words that I've used heard used in other arenas that sound similar to this so I want to quantify or, or just reframe when we're talking about scare or about abundance we're saying what needs to happen and then how do we create and structures and systems that that bring that into reality so how do I visualize and then put um, processes in place put teams in place put resources in place adjust my vision where I need to so it's an iterative process but that um, seeing seeing through the eyes of abundance is, is in this context really identifying the solutions we need to create in our world so that we are thriving in 2020 and beyond. Um, and it, it is supported by very concrete frameworks and actions as well as to, to help that vision materialize. G Jim, um, can you either elaborate on that or, or help clarify Oh, that's great, Maureen. So I think basically the at a core, the experience is the difference between saying when, when I have a, a flash of an idea of 
something that I can bring as an organizational leader, a bunch of people to an innovation, something that really gets me going. There's a lot of excitement and potential in that. When I meet, when I start to meet people that I say, I really want you on my team because of the unique contribution that you're going to make, because I can see that we're going to really discover something along this together. That's, that's coming from an abundance-based perspective of seeing all kinds of potential and pathways for manifesting it into these extraordinary outcomes that don't exist today. Then we do something really odd when we go to organize it, and I, I say that as a business professor who taught most of this stuff, right, is then we go into scarcity mode of saying, I'm going to make you sign a contract to a job description, and I forget all that potential that I saw in you, all that excitement in how we're going to achieve this together, and that we'll figure it out along the way, because I only start looking at what we don't have. And as James said, I start instead of looking at what we could have, or what is actually already here in our potential, in our excitement, in our enthusiasm, and all the contributions we could make, that is in the abundance mindset. In the scarcity mindset, it's just looking at specific capacities, and I don't want to know that about what you, your, your thoughts on these other issues because it's not your area. And so we shut down all that potential, all that excitement, all that energy, all that abundance into the scarcity mode in how we organize, and we just don't need to do that. So it is helping me keep my um, perspective open in continuing to see possibilities, even when I personally feel contracted because I've got no, I've got not enough money, not enough people, more work than I can possibly get done, and yet I have to at least have part of my mind remembering that all of those things may be true in this moment, and yet to accomplish what we need to. I need to be um, attending to what is possible and attending to um, the aspirations and goals and even dreams of the people we're working together. Right. And I think the way James said it was beautiful of let's look at what's actually really here in the room right now. And the the limiting scarcity-based mindset shuts out most of the potential. So a very simple example is I ask a question into the room and then I don't listen. And then then later somebody says, well, I could have told you that was going to happen. I said, well, why didn't you? And they said, because you didn't ask. You didn't actually listen. And so there's a wisdom already in the room. There are capacities already in the room. We actually know how to do this green building thing, or we have the capacity to do it, and we're not because of our agreements, because of the way we're treating each other, because of the way we're interacting. And maybe we need to just stop doing that out of the scarcity mindset. And out of what is the potential or the energy or the, what's available to me right now, right here. And there's a much more value in the room. What we're suggesting, and we have actual quantified metrics for, what is the, what is the benefit that's being left on the table because of the cost of coming from the scarcity mindset, not seeing the value that's right in front of me. All of the insights that are going through the heads of everybody around the table that aren't being shared because of how I do things all the contributions that could be made right now by what's here in the room that aren't being made because of the way we're interacting. And that, I'm leaving that on the table, and there's a cost to that scarcity. So we have metrics for the cost of scarcity of the value that's left on the table. And I suggest in many cases it's 90 to 95% of the value in the room is left on the table because people didn't see it and know how to manage it. So, so when we sit in these meetings, and I invariably there is someone who is calculating the cost of the meeting. And there are 10 people here, or 50, or 100 people, and we're sitting here for an hour, and the average salary is X. And these meetings are expensive, 
many of us leave thinking we've completely wasted our time and wish we could get that hour back in our day, and we can't, or hours, heaven forbid it's a day-long meeting. Um, so what I hear you saying is by changing our agreements, one of the things that happens is how we collaborate and interact in these, um, if, if we accomplish our work through the process of meeting, um, whether two people or hundreds, that that's that the, um, the value that emerges from those can be dramatically different. Dramatically different. So this would be an interesting time for you to explain kind of in, um, in words that people like me would understand, people like me um, who work with businesses a lot. Um, what are the five key relationships? Because when you explained that to me for the first time, it, it helped me understand that how I, if those relationships are in place, how I am able to innovate and create changes. And if the relationships aren't in place, I'm going to be one of those people who withholds information because it's safer. Excellent. So this is data-driven, meaning that this is us talking to hundreds of groups in all of these different countries. So thousands of individuals sharing their experiences over the last few years. And what we find is people know when they're in these, uh, these interactions, these meetings, these groups, where a lot more of that potential is showing up and being what's available in the room is showing up versus when it's not. And when people start talking about that, that's where the term vibrancy comes. There's just a greater vibe. There's more vibration. There's more vibrancy in what we're doing than less. And people prefer more than less. And that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. But we do a lot of things in our meetings to shut that down. And what we found in the difference between low vibrancy and high vibrancy exchanges, interactions, that get better or worse outcomes is people talk about it in five different relationships. How much of me is showing up in my relationship to myself? How much am I seeing and being seen by another human being, the relationship to the other? What is my the relationship to the group? Does the group see me in my unique contribution? Does the group respect that and invite that in? Are all voices you brought in or am I just an exchangeable widget? With nature or the process of innovation, how do we innovate as a group? Are we looking into possibilities and then how we're going to develop those into specific outcomes? Or are we only focused on the outcomes? And then what is the source of creativity or the spirit of the group? Is it only in what's been told to us by the bosses or somebody before what's in the book, the handbook? Or is it in everyone everywhere all the time? And it's just a matter of capturing that. So when people describe their relationship to this vibrancy of a group and the ones that are much higher vibrancy, much better outcomes, much better experiences, um, all five of those are really alive and energized versus when they're not, they're low. And what we're learning is what are the practices, the agreements, the processes and structures that support much higher vibrancy than low. And that you can do with this all the time and people are learning how to do that and have much greater experiences and much better outcomes on a sustainable basis. So this means I could actually enjoy going to work. That you would never again <laughs> receive the, you know, we had this one group that they were giving out badges to people that said, I survived another meeting that could have been an email. <laughs> and those badges need to never be given out again. We don't need to give out ribbons for surviving meetings. That's just not a very clever way to do things. Yeah, I, I agree. And have having spent a lot of years in a, 
in places, whether they were boardrooms or small meetings or large meetings, they're everywhere. This right. lack of vibrancy. Yeah, they don't need to be, and we're finding tens of thousands of groups around the world who don't live that way and get much better results than the rest of us. So why don't we do that instead? So those are your positive deviants. Those are the positive deviants, yeah. And once you study them, you are bringing them together uh, with one another as well, or, or at least it sounded like Christoph is creating those opportunities in Europe where the positive deviants um, can interact with each other. So my um, president's council or whatever it is, isn't just people who make over X dollars. It's now people who have vibrant organizations. Right. So that we can learn with each other and from each other and show it the world that this is possible and that people are doing it every day and they're right in front of us and we didn't even know it. Beautiful. Thank you. We are going to go to break right now. Um, and as we do, think of, the, think of as listeners, what would it be like if you didn't have those meetings that were just dreadfully painful? If you walked out of a session thinking, another vibrant meeting, I'm glad I went. Um, so, so there's the reflection question as we go to break. Um, this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and our guests are Jim Ritchie Dunham, James Drinkwater, and Christoph Hanksk, and we will be back with you shortly. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You 
are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Again, our guests are Jim Ritchie Dunham, Christoph Hanksk, and James Drinkwater, and we're talking about how to create vibrant organizations that get better business results. So now we're going to go to Christoph, who will give us a beautiful example of um, the agreements and how they impact organizations. So, Christoph, why don't you share with us? Yeah, thank you. So I think one really interesting thing that we touched several times already is that this working with agreement is independent of size of group. So it can be a board meeting, it can be a 100-person organization or global company, etc. But it can also be um, at a national level. And here's a really nice example I had when I was working with a was a minister for private sector development in an African country, and he always said, well, you know, since uh, since decades, we do not move forward with our economic development in our country, so what can we do? We don't have anything, you know, we don't have resources, we don't have, we don't have smart people in our country. And then we were talking for an hour in a, in a coffee shop, actually, um, and then I shared some of those ideas of, like, b- bringing in a different angle on it, and then he suddenly started, oh, my God. And I'm literally, I'm quoting him right now. It's so exciting for me that he said, well, now I start to see that the resources that we need to move and leapfrog our country towards a complete new level of development, is those resources and skills, everything is already in our country. I just have never looked for it. And then he said something that I will think, I will, I will carry in myself for until I'm dead. But he said, so... How can I be part of this? What do I have to do to bring this to my country? And what can I do to be part of the future and write history? And so I think this is a nice example of showing it doesn't matter what size of social system we're looking at, if it's a board meeting, a board conference, a board room, or if it's even a national or country or even Europe. Thank you. Thank you. And and. How amazing for the leader to be able to have the vision. That's the intention part, right? The possibility that I can rewrite history for my country and all of the amazing people whose lives will be changed by the work we're doing. Yes, it's all in front of us. We just have to look at it. And we are not able to see it when we start from scarcity, when we start from we don't have. Well, if when, we don't, when we think we don't have, then we don't have. <laughs> That's as easy as it is. The other thing that I think is beautiful is that that through Jim's research, there is now a codified methodology and a way to measure and a way to quantify and a map. So once I have a map, I can find the roads that get me to where I want to go versus me kind of meandering about by myself, complaining about things that don't work, but seeing no option for them to get better. So what I have seen myself do and seen others do is just say, okay, so... Um, turn off the complaining, turn off your brain, shut up and get back to work and stop asking, how do I make it better? Because at one point in time, there wasn't a very good path and the complaining made me unhappy. So just head down, get work done. And I think what we're inviting people to do is see this possibility, use this map, use these processes and 
actually experience the thing that many of us want to experience. So let's shift to leadership. It sounds complicated. Um, We're giving examples of people who are working at the senior government level. Um, We've talked about boardrooms. Um, What really is required of leaders? Do they have to be that complex? Or can um, people in uh, everyday life situations uh, use this as well? Jim? Uh, Yeah, I can jump in. So the... I think that at the core of this, what we're discovering is um, the self and the role of the self in this. And really just to say for myself as an individual, am I having the experience and the outcomes that I believe are available to me in this system, this set of relationships, this group, this team, this company? And am I having the experience I believe is available? And what we're finding is even if it's just two people or it's a small team, is to just say, you know what, I really don't think this is the best we could be. Um, we're not comparing ourselves to Olympians here. We're saying, what do we think we could be? And do I really believe that this is who we really are? And to start asking. And so I think from a leadership perspective, to have the trust, and trust is very important in this whole thing, right, is to create a, a place of trust and just ask. What we're finding over and over and over again, and just amazing stories of transformation for people of saying, you know what, I've never thought to ask, and I don't think this is great. And I asked other people, and they said, well, I don't either. And what that comes down to is people looking around the room and said, if I don't like this, and you don't like this, and you don't like this, so that's all of us, then why are we doing this? And what we hear over and over and over again, Maureen, and all of these different cultures, languages, countries, and types of organizations and sizes is, the same exact response of, well, we have to do it this way, don't we? And like, well, what? maybe we don't because, you know, we even as a team, we had a different experience the other day. Remember when we did that? We didn't actually do it this way. Or there's another group in our company and we don't do it that way in our community, our family, our friends, all of these different things that says we can do it different. So just to realize for myself as a leader, this is just a set of agreements and there are all kinds of agreements in this. And that's what we've been contributing to with agreements mapping and these things is to say, what are some of these deeper underlying agreements? But I think for any leader to just start with, am I actually satisfied with the agreements that we have as I experience them um, in the way we interact and in the outcomes we're achieving? And then asking, and I think in your work, that's one of the biggest deals, right, is the inquiry into self and with others of asking the question and listening deeply is this really who we are and what we want and realizing it's just a set of agreements so we can agree to something else? And then the question becomes, what does that next level look like? And that's where, you know, working with people like you starts to say, here, this is what another level of cooperative or collaborative agreements could look like. What are the practices, processes, structures underlying that that are different? But that always all starts with asking the question of myself, do I agree with the outcomes and experience we're having? and realizing that it's just an agreement and we can agree to different practices together. You know, you've made a couple points that just really hit home with me. Um, One is that I can change the agreements we have in a small group within a large organization. So I worked with a state government um, with one team, and uh, their vibrancy scores were extremely high. 
and I have a I have a federal government example of that as well. And I, the organizations, uh, the couple that I'm thinking of specifically, we would not mistake them for being highly vibrant. And yet, these little pockets seem to be incredibly cohesive. And so, one of the challenges, one of our little research projects, is how how can we make this contagious? So, so this question of um, we make assumptions, and there, it's it's fascinating to watch just my own little experiments in life as I go through and teach a class. And um, this, I taught a summer session a, a month ago, and we walked into the classroom, and there were no tables and no chairs, so we would have been sitting on the floor. And so my solution was, let's go outside. It's not raining. It's nice. Um, we're going to have class outside today, and and the looking at me, the students, and saying, we can do that? Well, yeah, we can do that. Even something as simple as changing the place we work or changing something about, and I love doing this um, in teaching, that, that it's, you know, a nice summer evening. I teach adults in an MBA program. Um, you know, it's our first nice evening, and we're going to go sit in a basement classroom where we go outside. So it's not we we certainly as board members change directions of companies, but as employees we can also change um, uh, agreements about how we do our daily work that really move us into um, a much more positive experience. And then again, it just becomes experiments. Well, if I can change that, what else can I change? How else can I interact with a colleague? How, how else do I interact differently with a spouse? Where do we have assumptions about um, our relationship that are outdated or based on uh, what we grew up with that no longer applies? These assumptions are everywhere around us. And one of the things I love doing is watching people as they realize they can do it differently. So... James or Christoph, what are your experiences in the leaders you're working with? Christoph, you talked about the um, government official in Ghana. Can you elaborate a little more about how he shifted to see that it didn't require um, Harvard-educated professors to do this? It it was um, feasible with the people he had on hand. Yes, so um, I think I can answer that really quickly because um, we had this, I think we had a one-hour conversation and what was really interesting, he, in the beginning, he was was sitting in front of me and just expecting um, the guy from Germany, you know, this guy from the North to have the answer. And this was power relations that we often have, that we in the North think we have to tell the people in this house what to do and vice versa. And this is one of those dynamics that, that we have. It's so strongly embedded in many cultures. And so, and then, um, then we explored of, of um, political fields, etc., and economic development questions. And then suddenly I, um, well, I started to ask him, so don't you, don't you know of any organization it, it, it can be a farmer, it can be a, a shoe company, etc. It doesn't matter what. Um, that are somehow where that are highly, um, how do you say, highly um, successful in the results they create, as well as they're in the um, 
and the well-being indexes or happiness indexes or like um, employee retention rates, etc., all of this are really good and far off the grid from, from the others. And then we explored this a bit and suddenly we had a list of 10 organizations on the table. And, um, and we explored this list further when I was in Ghana. Um, and so in, this country, in, in, in Ghana and Africa and, um, and suddenly it was so obvious like, oh my God, we have all those. We have already this organization and that organization and, and this company here and this and, and now let's bring them together and that they can learn from each other. So it doesn't make sense what I'm is it answering your question. Yes, it does. So, so that leads me into the next question. Then, if I wanted to use this going forward, I'm I'm someone on uh, listening to this conversation. Uh, what are your recommendations that allow us to prepare our current leaders or select um, from high potentials to start moving this forward in our organizations? Well, I, two short answers to that. I think one would be. Um, to link, um, to start a conversation with, with some leaders, with leaders like, um, like James that we have in the room and in this conversation, because what he is invoking in his organization from what I experience in working with him is just, um, in comparison with all those other groups that we have worked with is highly, it's an amazing example of doing this on the ground and implementing this in a massive organization, A and B, um, and just Going on the website of the institute, um, where you can take a free online um, a free online survey, and just play around with it and and answer the survey once for for your team, a second time for your whole organization, or once for your family, so that you start to get a feeling for what it does it mean being collaboration and abundance and all this fuzzy stuff. What does it mean and how does it impact me when I start thinking about that in different four different contexts? So this would be my recommendation. Okay, so I'm going to jump in and give the website address so people know where to go. And that's www.instituteforstrategicclarity.org. Again, Institute for Strategic Clarity, all one word, .org. And then click on Take the Survey. It's in the middle on the bottom. And also, if you look at the banner on the Voice America website, I believe the banner takes you to um, the survey. So, so um, if you take it, no one will harass you. Uh, you it, Jim does not reach out and have a program that taps you on the shoulder every five minutes to get you to buy stuff. Uh, so it is really a, um, an easy and no-cost way to experiment with these ideas and then change a behavior and see how your scores change. So does anyone have a wrap-up comment? And then I'm going to bring our discussion to a close. If I could just add briefly, we often say partnership is the new leadership, but the quality of collaboration is all about the way you enter that agreement. To collaborate is not to say, I have an idea and a vision, you do it with me, but is genuinely to co-create, know that you you have to have that ability to say, I don't have the answers, but I have the skills to lead that co-creation process. So, So we found... For collaboration, agreements are absolutely critical. 
Thank you, James. So I'm going to bring our session to a close. I want to thank all of you for participating and specifically Jim Ritchie Dunham, who has um, created this framework that is incredibly powerful. He's making a lot of it available through his website for people to experiment with uh, without charge. And it is, at least in my experience, it has been a very powerful um, opportunity to change how we interact with ourselves and with others and see a dramatic impact. So I want to hear your uh, feedback on applying these ideas to uh, yourself and your organization. If you take the survey and you want to discuss it, reach out to me at info at metcalf-associates.com and uh, I will share your emails with our co-presenters. So uh, thank you for joining us. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We hope that you were able to hear something today that you can take away and experiment with, that looking at how your agreements drive are aligned with your strategic goals and by creating better alignment, your organization will uh, produce better results. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.